Welcome to episode 51. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. On social media, give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram, you'll always find out about the upcoming episodes. Uh, the next few episodes, we're going to do like a new, mu- new music episode for episode uh, 53, or I mean 52. And then uh, a bunch of interviews coming up with like uh, Chris Vandeviver, Michael Honch. Going to do that with, with Greg Benoit from Rochester Hardcore History. Uh, we're going to have Grant Johnson on. I'm probably going to bring Kevin, Kevin Wilcox back on pretty soon to talk about some classic hardcore and see what he's been up to. And there's going to be some other cool stuff coming up too. And uh, check us out on Patreon. Give us a little uh, support there with uh, upcoming stuff because we're trying to do some live stuff with the podcast too. So uh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I think there's going to be some laughs and some other interesting stuff on this conversation. I've been looking forward to this one for a little while. A bunch of different people have actually kind of uh, requested that I uh, do this interview for some time now. So it's been kind of a long time coming. So uh, I guess with all that being said, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Justin Kern tonight. And uh, how's everything going for you, Justin? Hi, Josh. It's very nice to hear your voice. And I know they can't see you, but to see you and to, uh, yeah, it's been a long time. It, it's, it's been so long that the players that you were, tr- you were trash talking to me on the Milwaukee Bucks are retired and not even in the league anymore. So the last time we talked. So uh, we had a lot of catching up, not just about Giannis and cash money, Chris Middleton, but probably <laughs> about like some, you know, legitimate things that the uh, target audience wants to hear what is the target audience for can i ask questions too is that is that oh yeah uh, yeah tons target audience is pretty much like uh people who went to like hardcore and punk shows in the early 2000s and probably some people go to current shows too because i've interviewed a few people from like the current scene too i try to do a mix and i try to do a mix and match of like people mostly from Rochester and Buffalo, but sometimes, you know, I'm branching out more to other areas too. Dunkirk. Now the Southern tier into Chautauqua yeah. County and Dunkirk, which I'm yeah. happy to speak about. Yeah. Uh, I had somebody from Bath on recently too. So we're doing a little tour wow. of all towns in New York. So now we're going from Bath to, to uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, you so could do it. You could, yeah, you, Olean, Medina, you could do a real roundup yeah. there. Lynn Tucky, you know, I didn't even think about all those people. Yeah, we could easily do a small town New York uh, feature. Yeah, you, I mean, Enterprise Hardcore, I mean, you know, put the Enterprise in Enterprise Hardcore, Josh, if I, if I could, you know. <laughs> Thank you for having me, though, and I'm uh, happy to hear that, uh, you know, that someone wants to hear, hear me talk. I, I am vain, so, I mean, that helps me, too, you know. I'm, I'm neurotic, but I'm also vain. So. Yeah, no, I've had a few different people from, like, different not quite different scenes, but you know, different, different communities and stuff that when I ask for different interviews, there's been a few yeah. names that come up more than once. And you were always somebody I kind of look forward to doing this with. And I, I kind of wanted to wait a little bit to, to kind of, you know, get ready and everything. Um, <laughs> sure. so I guess, well, I, I guess you kind of started mentioning in Dunkirk. So we'll start there and kind of talk about your upbringing and like, you know, growing up in obviously kind of like a small college town, you know? Yeah, I mean, Dunkirk is like, you know, it's like Dunkirk and Ferroni together, right? Um, but Dunkirk, um, I don't know, like, I think they're, in terms of like growing up there, I spent the, actually spent the first like eight and a half years of my life in, unfortunately, in the suburbs of Dallas, which is uh, America's largest city that has contributed the least to American culture. And uh, was very grateful to... Um, have my parents move back to their hometown, which is Dunkirk. But, you know, Dunkirk is, I think, you know, it's endemic of a bunch of places um, 
outside of the bigger cities, outside of Rochester and Buffalo, right, where it's like these, uh, uh, you know, blue collar towns. Like I, I did not until I was like 16 think I was ever going to leave. Like it was that kind of town where like you didn't even like, I mean, hope was a, was at a low commodity, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and I don't mean that like in a bashing way, but it was definitely, it also fostered an environment. I think of people to, I don't know, just like if anyone did anything, you kind of, it was like, Oh, okay, well shit, you can, you can have this VFW hall, I guess you're going to have a bunch of, a bunch of who here doing what now? Um, and so, I, I don't know, it, it did foster some kind of uh, freedom and creativity and childhood stupidity, stupidity, which uh, has, I mean, led to a bunch of the most important relationships in my life. So, um, you know, music and creativity, mostly at the center of it, but a lot of it stemming from Dunkirk and then realizing what a scene is and setting up shows and all that stuff. But um yeah, I mean, people may know me from from such bands as, uh, of course, uh, I managed Carl for years, um, and I was in the Piss Ants, but I was also in, uh, you know, Rumpelstiltskin, uh, Buffalo Bills Boogie, uh, Roadhouse, Hector the Booty Inspector, the Pubic Mites, uh, Freebird, RJB Squad, Wig Guys, Gleam Bloatheart, Totally Awesome Video Games, uh, Dudes. Uh, who else? God, I gotta give a shout out to Fantasy, Hercules and the Comfortable Masturbators, uh, Fruits in the Nude, the Anthony Michael Halls, um, and then, uh, you know, like They Live and Fudgy and uh, Robot is Werewolf fan and stuff. But yeah, but, but it all started in the, in the finer social club halls and people's, you know, like uh, what, living rooms and stuff in, in Dunkirk, New York. But yeah, so it's Dunkirk. But but it's not. I mean, it's like it is not Fredonia. I mean, I need to caution that. Like you said, College Town, and you know, Fredonia's there. And I'm sure there's a lot of Blue Devils ice hockey fans listening to this. But I don't, don't <laughs> want to step on any toes here. But uh, you know, Fredonia is like the slightly more employed neighbor that had the college, while Dunkirk is definitely uh, an arbiter of. Um, uh, uh yeah i just not a lot not a lot of opportunities to start with but i i don't know Pe- people do fine there like i got out you know i turned you know i you know and a lot of that had to do with buffalo and rochester and other stuff too but but yeah dunkirk what do you want we can we can go deep on dunkirk if you want <laughs> well, obviously i'm not even though i don't live that far away geographically i'm not that familiar with the area because I, I always sure. kind of assumed it was like one and the same like dunkirk and fredonia yeah. Well, I mean, Fernando, we do shows there a lot, too, because it was a little more um, accepting. You know, I mean, the thing about doing, I guess it would be establishing what I didn't even know. Like, there was a point when we would do shows like I didn't we didn't even have a concept until outside bands started coming. This is you know, this is like pre we didn't even have an Angel Fire website. This is a long time ago. This is an ancient. It, tru- it feels like a truly ancient time, the mid 90s. But um like, you know, there were other bands around, certainly, but we didn't even know, like, a scene. I, we got, I remember there was a, uh, Oak, the, uh, what is it, the O-City Bombers. That was a band in Buffalo, right? And I remember we did a show where a bunch of our friends uh, got drunk and brunk, broke some tables, 
you know, because they were 14, you know, they <laughs> and they had drank like peach schnapps all day at the uh, American Legion VFW hall there. And one of the one of the guys who I, you know, Kevin, who had since uh, later, like became pretty, you know, pretty friendly with he was uh, accusatory because he was slightly older because he knew like that you you know you needed to like not break stuff and get kicked out of venues if you were going to have a show and scenes and stuff we had no clue that what that even was like it was so it was like such an alien concept that you would even be able to return somewhere or like oh like people are going to want to like come to your grimy town and like dance in a circle and play with your bands um and i mean you know some folks eventually did but um it it was uh it was a you know it was a, it was a beautiful time to be a child in america <laughs> all the bands you listed off earlier makes me yeah. think too i always ask people before the interview to send me a list of all the bands they've played in yeah. and i purposely didn't ask you because i was like he's gonna send me like 40 fucking bands and <laughs> gonna, we're probably not gonna we'll probably gloss over like dudes and you know, uh, maybe Rumpelstiltskin we might talk about for a minute, but uh, um, you talk about dudes. I mean, is that probably why you already went pretty deep on? I don't know if we talked about it on his interview. I don't, I, and I, I don't know. I think we probably talked about it for a split second, but I don't think we recorded. It was our, it was our uh, homage to Troy, New York hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the song, the only song I remember was a song called "That's How I'm Living." And you guys it, really uh, record stuff. No, but we, I think we like worked it out somehow, but that song went, that's how I'm living. No taking back, no forgiving. It went like that. And Ben always had some dream that there would be two people on either side of the stage with dogs, which was great. And then there would be a song also about losing money uh, on a Chargers game. Like, (laughs) I I don't know. Let me, I would just, let me just, I know you probably have other questions, but. I, this is something principally since you've reached out that I've been thinking about. I, when I look at the time span and like being interested in music, there's two things that kind of stand out. One is the intensely important friendships and acquaintances, um, present company included, that have formulated over time um, and, and made music and things that people are doing creatively far more interesting when you know someone that's doing something, there's just some, the personal aspect to it and, and some aspect that you can gloss over. You don't care about other little shit about being like polished or like professional or awesome. Um, and the other aspect was like, I always, and I still feel this way, and this might be part of some, you know, longstanding mental health challenges I have, but the, the, I always felt like everything in music was like whatever we could get away with like that. It wasn't, there wasn't like a genre that was like most important to me. There wasn't like, you know, it wasn't as much of like the worship of the style of stuff. Certainly those things are pervasive, but I, I want to like, I think about like what it brings me the most joy. It's like whatever the hell I can get away with, I guess. And that, so, <laughs> but in my case, I mean, that kind of leads to just a lot of, a lot of goofing, a lot of chuckle fucking, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that, that, that does kind of sound like punk rock too, in a, in a pretty, uh, in a nutshell, what you just said, you know? So I suppose, I suppose so. I suppose well, in a way, but I mean, there was, there's definitely an, an aspect of like, um, uh, formulaity and like, um, a look and all that stuff too, that, you know, I think is, especially as I get older is I, I have no interest in at all. 
yeah. but still is enticing to me is like uh, some weirdos doing some weird shit. So we'll try to jump through a few of the bands, though, I guess. You kind of right. the Piss Ants. I feel like that's when I kind of first met you. Is sure. I feel like it was it was through Pat Dunn, and I'm guessing you referenced playing with the O-City Bombers, so you probably played maybe you guys played with the dents and that's how we all kind of got to know each other or, or something along those lines or. Yeah. There's actually a weird interaction that summer. Um, Pat and I lived together uh, when we both ended up at school. Why? Well, after a brief, um, well, I could explain that momentarily, but we both went to Buffalo state college and ended up living together. And it was one of the most important things that ever happened to me. Um, but he, he, before the, the summer before that, there, there, like as as you know, grimy and struggling, and and maybe uh, you know, uh, out of the loop as Dunkirk might have been. There were other smaller towns that had their own, like you know, like skate punk bands, and that's kind of what we were, um, like Brockton and Forestville. So I definitely want to rep the Southern Tier here and just <laughs> yeah, all of the greater Northern Chautauqua County region hardcore. But there was a guy who we affectionately referred to as Weird Neil, who uh, had a, he set up a, a show in like a, a cabin, like I was some type of rental cabin in Forestville, New York, um, that uh, the Pat was touring with the O-City Bombers. And Pat does not remember this, but I remember distinctly meeting him and buying a dense, I think, demo, and then some other stuff there. Um, and they were, they were, they were, I think they were the only competent band that played, but uh, I think, I think bands were enjoyed by all. Um, and Pat, so Pat was there and ended up like kind of making some connection with him. And then when we, you know, a few months later, just happened to run into each other at college. And um, he, we, like the first three weeks of college, we both hated our roommates. His roommate, as I remember, there was a, a tornado in Syracuse and that roommate just went back home to like, I don't know. I don't think his like family got swept away, but I think he just like went home to deal with it and he never came back. And then my roommate, um, Fabian, um, who, who my first memory of him, he, he was bragging about how he had sex with a teacher of his and he, he, is, he had brought uh, underwear from her to prove it to me. Um, uh, Fabian and his friends, uh, they, they all thought, um, and you know, maybe to outsiders, this might seem true, but I was, you know, very much of like, I like, a, I still like a bunch of like fat records type bands, right? Like, I, and I would literally like the band bracket, like the wimpiest band on a wimpy label. Like the, I was accused of being a devil worshiper. Like they, <laughs> so, and so, you know, it was pretty clear, uh, maybe this wasn't, my dream roommate this wasn't a perfect fit and then one day uh yeah ran into pat and and just happened to be a situation where where very quickly i was able to move in with him and like i said you know that was uh one of the best things that ever happened to me uh yeah in my whole life but but yeah right and pat was obviously very active i'm sure kevin has said as much you know in terms of doing shows and being very very eager to set things up in Buffalo. So um, it was a perfect person for me to uh, be around and, and do those kind of things in Buffalo as well, but also do our own goofy shit too, like Roadhouse. We had our, you know, our side anarcho-acoustic crust band that was half 
based on the movie Roadhouse and half based on uh, kind of um, poetic, uh, very uh, strongly, tersely fighting lyrics, but also lyrics about Roadhouse. Um, we have a second tape that's unreleased, recorded years later. It sounds nothing like that, but uh, but yeah, that would be. And then obviously the um, all the Rochester folks, like yourself and everything, kind of um, you know the 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 dots were connected, Joshua. Roadhouse is good shit, man. The movie. I don't really remember the band as much, but the movie's definitely <laughs> good. Did you guys play any shows or anything, or did you just do like uh, the tape or whatever? Boy, I do think we played in a basement in Buffalo once. Like I think, like um, up in uh, near uh, UB, and I. But I we did. Pat put out a tape that had. I again. I I, I should have caveated this start. I this could be. I'm gonna say. 30% of what I'm going to say is absolutely conflated memory. And then 34% is an outright lie. And then the rest of it is, is gloriously remembered um, nostalgia. Uh, but, but he, Pat put out a tape on like his, his like cassette label. in I want to say 1998 that had a, he put some roadhouse songs on there. He did put some Carl songs on there. The uh, artist that I managed, Carl, Carl Malford. And then, uh, and then he um, also on that tape was uh, Sean Lambert had some things on there. Of course. Uh, I want to say um, active minds may have had something on there. And then, against me and pat i remember years later was getting like orders it was right when against me became like fucking against me right <laughs> like they were huge but like he had just gotten this tape in the mail i don't know probably from like a heart attack ad or slug and lettuce or something but um it was very weird actually years and years later robot played in a basement with against me and it was one of those times where you're like, oh, yeah, this, like, staircase could collapse and everyone could die down here. There's just way too many people in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and they were fucking great. They were really great. But they were a very different band by that point. But um, just very strange. But I think that, you know, how do you feel? You, you must come across this a lot, right? It's like at some point the people still interested in doing shit, like you are surprised maybe for a little while. And then you're like, oh, fucking, of course. Josh is still doing stuff. Of course, right? I mean, like most of the people, if they have their wits about them and they're able, are still doing something, you know, whether I, it doesn't have to be, you know, certainly like a, exactly the same thing they were doing. Um, and if it's the same thing, then that's fine too, if you like it. Um, but the doers, the doers are still out there. So, I, you know, you've cut, you must, right? I mean, it's like people, oh, where you, you must run into that all the time where people are just, you know, Oh yeah, of course. So and so is doing this. I'm not surprised at all, right? You because you got connections. All you got fucking connections for days. A lot. I think a lot of them kind of felt. I I, didn't, I kind of fell out of touch with some of those people. But I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people are still active, and it's. I mean, now that we're in our 40s, you know, you see a lot more people that are older that are doing a lot of this stuff. Um, I do kind of want to touch on a couple of things you said before too, though. That the whole tape thing. That hasn't yeah. really been talked about on my podcast as much. And that's something that, you know, we were definitely doing a lot of back then is like tape comps and trading tapes. And yeah, you know, I got more into doing just like straight up like records and CDs on my label eventually. But like I had a hand in all that stuff and that was really cool. And uh, against, I think I've talked about this on here, probably on the Kevin episode uh, before, but against me played my basement a long time ago too in 1999. 
that might be how Pat knew them too. That's when they had the the buckets. Okay, then that must have been more like acoustic style then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when they were doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I never okay. knew they were like gonna do what they did. Obviously, you know, right. what I mean? it was just right. like, holy shit! Right. And years later, yeah. all these people are like huge fans of them. And I'm like, man, that's the same band, isn't it? Like, I never knew. Right. Would have realized it's crazy. Well, the cassette, right? So, like, the there was like, I, I think this is a thing. I mean, you and I may have shared. You know, you certainly grew up in the fucking city, uh, the Flower City, if I may. And, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, you know, I think we share. Like, I did not. My parents were poor. Like, we we grew, we grew up like broke, and like there was people in and out of fucking jail and stuff. Like, I we I didn't have any money. Like, <laughs> I didn't have any money to do stuff. But I had, you know, you could do tapes. Like you could make like a demo. There was a reason you did a demo. There's also a reason you put 50 fucking songs on a demo. Cause it was like, I gotta make this thing count, you know? <laughs> so I, you know, I think that, you know, records clearly have some more cachet and staying power, but um, that was definitely a way to interact with all kinds of folks. Dave Bailey, like my best friend, you know, ended up like hearing stuff he did on in bands years before I met him, but I kind of like knew him beforehand. Right. And people would do comps of, of like, you know, we probably did a dunker comp. God, I wish, I hope we, we probably did a dunker comp. They, well, probably in response to the Brockton, New York comp, you know, we were really <laughs> wanted to stick it to them ever since they'd stole that arch and brought it downtown. And they always claimed Don Reinhardt as their own, you know, world's strongest man, my ass, you know? Oh my God. But I mean, you must, I mean, that must have been for you in particular, right? I mean, you, um, it would be just, I don't know, you know, a way to connect with fucking anyone in the world. You can mail someone a cassette. Again, postage rates might be different or something, but yeah, you know, it, it should, it makes no other sense why you would just be sending something small and creative to a person in like, you know, Serbia, but you could, you know, with a cassette, yeah. you know, and you know. Yeah, I had weird connections of trading tapes with people in like Malaysia and stuff. And I had some dude like, I, we follow each other on Instagram now too. I forget where he's from. I want to say Thailand. He had he ended up with, I made like literally like twenty Enterprise Hardcore shirts back in the day, and somehow one of them, somebody must have like traded one or sold one on eBay or something, and and he got it. Like, but he told me he bought it at like a, a street market that sells like used shirts or some shit, like <laughs> in his home country. And I'm like, how the fuck would that shirt have ended up at a like a secondhand shop basically where somebody yeah. it had to have gone through a bunch of different hands though. And it's such a random shirt for somebody to buy like that. So and he ended good. up finding my Instagram too. You must, I mean, I, I like, I have heard people disappointed by this. There are a few things that bring me more bracing pleasure than being out of town somewhere and finding one of my band's uh, releases or something I was connected with in a used, in a used bin. It is like a, it is like a, it is like a, <laughs> a point of pride is like, cause it makes no fucking sense. You're like, how on fucking earth through all the things that happened in life, did this thing end up in Des Moines? And then there it is in Des Moines, you know, have you ever bought one? De well, Dubuque. No, that was the one in Dubuque. I actually had a friend reach out to me last year. He was in Chicago and he saw the, one of the robot records. And I specifically told him not to buy it. I said, I want that thing there. That's free advertising, baby. That's out there, you know, that's out there a lot. That's going to be out there a lot longer in that used bin. It's gonna, the price is going to go down. Me, Kristen, Dave, Eric, Steve, we all might be turned to dust. That bad boy's going to be a dollar. That's going to make it to the dollar bin. 
outliving all of us. Oh, man. Before we jump into talking about Robot, what can you tell me about, uh, I guess, managing the artist uh, known as Carl back in the day? Oh, boy. I mean, Wiley. You know, that's one of the words that comes to mind. Um, Vietnam War vet. That's another phrase that comes to mind. Um, uh, you were talking about bus travel. Boy, did that guy travel by bus. And I mean, and by travel, I mean, often lived on the bus. Like he, he, he had done some math at some point and he'd figured out long haul bus prices for like big trips, you know, like the empire builder and that kind of stuff. And uh, he, he was like, this is cheaper than rent. I, and I was, you know, in my mind, you know, on one hand I was concerned cause he's got a lot of issues uh, but on the other hand, you know, I'm going to let the artist get out there. And uh, so it was, it found it easier, easier to set up, you know, show might be a, a too strong a word, but for him to play uh, all over um, from, uh, let's see here, uh, played a show in Switzerland once, um, played, uh, played a show in Berkeley, California once, he told me about. Um, played in, played in Fredonia against his better, <laughs> his better judgment. Uh, and then obviously played in, in, in Dunkirk and Cuba, New York quite a bit. Yeah. Cuba, New York, man. Well, and, really and Oakland, and all the, I think that's the first time we've mentioned that, that, uh, small town on this podcast. We're going to have to put a map of the state of New York in the graphic <laughs> for this episode. Yeah. With a little, with a little push pins on it. Where did yeah. you play? Where did you play? We, I mean, there were there were points of having like a daydream. I think this might have been, uh, this must have been some talk. I mean, we kind of did this with Robot at some point. We we played, a, I think we played only in New York State or primarily in New York State. We ended up playing like Western Massachusetts or something else too. But you could at some point verifiably, like in the 90s, the late 90s, you could have done a tour of, you know, two weeks um if you were not you know sh you know you I, you screw new york like the city like you could have done new pulse you know you could have you could have you know you could have done albany and troy both sides of the bridge you know like i mean you could have you could have really done you know you could have done you could have done some damage in the empire state is what i'm saying yeah those were those were wild times now yeah. i don't but i don't carl, know carl's doing fine thanks for asking that's what I was gonna say too, and I, and I I didn't I didn't actually honestly didn't really try to look for any online, but I don't think that I don't know if there's any Carl stuff digitally available. So I yeah, I don't I don't think he he hasn't asked me to do that. I don't I actually don't know if he's ever been online. What would you tell people that wanted to know what Carl's music sounded like that are uh, listening to this that aren't familiar with Carl? Yeah, yeah. I I pre thanks for asking. The the I the, <laughs> I think it's more of a feeling. I think it was more of a sensation that he kind of he uh, he had he shared with people. It's I you know you could there's certain trap you could it's a it's acoustic music. It's a uh, it's a white man singing. Okay, so you know you can fill in some blanks there, uh, good, bad, and otherwise. Um, but he had, he just had his own voice, his own spin, and not like that Jandek crap. I mean, it was like uh, it's like a tuneful, but short, so he could just get out of your way. Yeah. Now, I guess one more thing before we jump into robot was was were you doing a Xena one point two? I feel like we all were. Like I know. 
Yeah, that might have. I mean, I think that we were probably trading stuff at some point. Yeah, me, my, myself, and my uh, high school girlfriend and good friend Lindsay were had a zine called Ozzy Rocks, but I think uh, that we I primarily used as a platform to get free CDs, which I don't think we were alone in. <laughs> um, and then. Uh, I mean, a bunch of other like rando one-off scenes, like in the sense where you would just make something for, a, you know, like a show or something like that. So a lot of that or writing for, you know, um, whatever you, Ben and Pat may have put together or like added a thing or two in uh, Heart Attack, you know, writing for other scenes, of course. But um, yeah, and then, I mean, we still, I mean, I still have done some zines. I did a zine recently called Eat Me where it's just pictures of signs that have the food they serve, but it's the animal that they're going to serve you um, like a pig and a bib, you know, or like a bag of uh, a bag of like shrimp chips. And there's like a shrimp with like a fork and knife on it. You know, that was like a zine. It was a little more conceptual. I get it. Um, so, you know, I still make some zines, but, but Ozzy rocks may have been the one in reference here. Yeah. That's that would have been, been the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was cool to hear you're still doing them, though. I, 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 that is one thing I have seen more people like. Well, I mean, before like hardcore too. There, there's, there's been more zines like that have sprung up the last few years. Oh so yeah, cool yeah, they're still there. There's a great. I mean, Milwaukee has a you know COVID aside has had a pretty fantastic zine fest they do each year, and and I I share that same thought where I was like, in my probably simplistic view a bunch of years ago, it was like just punker kids, right? But there's all types of art freaks and photo people and um and people doing straight up books but just you know calling it a zine i mean there's really some creativity out there especially in a world where like everything is so um uh temporary you know to have this kind of you know not obsession with ephemera but but to have at least something physical that you can share um I, you know that's uh, there, there's something exciting about that, hey, uh, even though it probably can, I don't know, it probably contributes to the end of human life on earth, right? With the whole chopping down of trees and stuff. But I mean, you need joy, right? You need joy, damn it. <laughs> right? Maybe it's recycled paper, who knows? It's probably recycled. It's probably recycled. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> one thing that I found interesting when I was kind of thinking about it with Robot, his werewolf hand too, is like, most of you guys didn't really play in too many other bands like that for the most part, right? Like, is that for, for that style of, of like hardcore? Um, I think that's probably right. I mean, it was, again, I think that was like, you know, we were at, we were of a certain age. Um, we were just sweet babes in the woods. It's just, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was purpose. There was some intention in having, setting up a band of people that we just, happened to be in our like friends circle um so right Kristen you know I don't think Kristen ever had sang in a band and Dave was in a band oh god I think he was in a band called Freak in high school which is like a very perfect 1996 like I think they did like a bush a bush cover at a talent show um and so but he he but you know Dave was Dave was super active as a as an appreciator I would as like he was like he went to like eerie straight edge hardcore shows every weekend like uh and then he well we're not you know the straight he didn't he wasn't that straight edge anymore after a while but he, <laughs> but he but he definitely like loved he loved like trial and he loved like you know like 
your traditional moshers, right? He liked, he liked some Syracuse hardcore. He liked some Erie hardcore. Um, he ventured into some Zayo, but we will forgive him for that. Uh, he, uh, so Dave, I mean, Dave is like definitely involved and appreciative. I think Kristen was, you know, again, she was like not a tip, maybe like someone that had been in some bands, but she was act, she was certainly active in terms of like what we'd call like social justice matters now and like being vocal and upfront uh, in that sense. So she, and, and again, both of them were like really good friends, still are really good friends. Um, you know, Foster, I think was our like token scene kid. Hi, Eric. Uh, like <laughs> Eric, Eric was the one person we did not know as well but he had, you know, he was going to the same school as us and we loved him. He's just a very lovable person. Um, and then Steve and I, I think we're primarily looking for a reason to play together um, because Steve plays great drums. Steve is a really fantastic drummer. So, you know, I think it was, um, I was, uh, yeah, it was definitely something where we wanted to see if we could just have a thing of friends get together. And it turned out really well over a very short period of time. I was very, proud of what we did um and i think it was also a thing in that same sense where it was like we were trying to see what we could do what we could get away with i you know i didn't know uh you know we we futzed around and 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 tried to make some snappy songs and uh, i think that friend atmosphere certain i think it permeated with like a lot of shows i think there was like some there'd be shows where like a bunch of Kristen's friends from the coffee house would be there and some of dave's rugby buddies would be there you know but it wasn't too weird that they were watching us but also staying for total fury which i think for total fury was probably pretty strange and so I, yeah i think there was some very friendly uh imbued in, in a very friendly atmosphere that that made it easy to you know I, i've had friends too that have said like they I have a friend Ryan out here who is in some, a bunch of garage rock bands that he really bemoans like the touring. He said a lot of touring to him was driving places, sitting at a bar for a while and then playing and then crashing at someone's house. And, and I have heard that from some other people. Um, but I thought like that band in particular, it, again, it was like a very intentional thing where we were like, I, I want to go see a bunch of fucking places. I want to like, I want this excuse to be able to go to Pueblo, Colorado and play horseshoes with a bunch of local dudes at a saloon after we play a really fun show all night and get to know some folks and then leave Pueblo. You know, I, we, we were very like, we had a lot of conversations about what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. And uh, yeah, it, it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I was very, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of absolutely everything I've ever done in my life, but I, <laughs> that's not true, but I am, I am very proud of like how we were able to do that band and the response that people had. I, I mean, I don't generally, especially as I've gotten older, I don't know if you've heard this from other of the geezers on your show, but like I, my caring what anyone else thinks about what I do, not in a sense where I'm just going to be like, you know, flagrant and get, do something to get canceled or something like that. But in the sense where it's like, I, I'm just going to do the thing that I, I feel called to do uh, creatively and, and then see however it turns out. Uh, you know, there was a bit of a, I think throwing it out there with that band, but it did feel like people fucking dug it. Um, yeah. People, People, people dug it. There was, there was slight buzz. We had mild buzz. 
Yeah, I, that's one thing I was kind of surprised you guys never worked with any like I don't want to say bigger labels, but like for lack better word, you know what I mean? Like like a six two five or something like that. You know what I mean? Like was that ever anything you guys talked about? Like when the band was active or? Uh, I don't think it ever like came to us. Like I, there might have been some limitations, um, and we had good supporting people that just came to us anyway. Like the um, the folks up in Toronto that put out the first record, and then Alex who put out the LP. You know, I, they just kind of were very generous and came out and, and did that. I, I have for my own bands, I have never had that ever, and never had it since. So something like resonated with some people that way and so I you know I, I know and it was able to get out to places like I said like I mean it's like the fact that it is in like a fucking Chicago used bin I, again I that is awesome to me that is totally fantastic um there's some weird article I'll get sometimes again I'm vain so I'll have like google alerts for myself and there's some like graffiti artist in France that like spray painted our band name a bunch of places and so it'll like come up sometimes and i i'm like i i don't know this person uh maybe they're just putting it out there because it's they're like boy i would love to share with the world the world's worst band name um but <laughs> but um you know no yeah we but we didn't have we, just, we didn't certainly have any like people knocking down the door in that sense but we definitely had a lot of people who it was very easy to set up shows of that band. It was very like, we, uh, we, unfortunately, like the last, we were going to do a tour and Dave had some life things happen. And then we were, we were, I, I, I do have one regret. We were going to do one tour. We were talking with um, some ragers in Toronto and uh, some of them had some connections in Japan. And so there was a conversation about doing like a six week tour where we'd be out in Japan for like a week and a half or two weeks. And Dave, in the meantime, had like some life stuff happen. And he, he said he couldn't be in the band anymore. And then we were going to still do it and not only just do it, but Kristen had, <clears throat> Kristen had played, I believe, saxophone in like middle school and early high school. And she was like, fuck it, I'll just play saxophone for like Dave's parts. <laughs> and like, it seemed like too weird of an idea or something. And then like, it wouldn't be what people expected when they set up the shows. But I'll be goddamn if I don't regret like us not going out there and having showing up and just being like, fuck it, this is what we do now. We got a saxophone for some reason. <laughs> um, but maybe that's like older, you know, maybe that would have been a thing where people would have, well, it wasn't, there was a little bit of the internet, but people would have caught on and been like, cancel these shows for this band now. They're liars. <laughs> they're, li they're trying to strong intention their way across the country and into Japan. <laughs> oh, man. Good old strong intention with the 80 different lineups and sound, <laughs> sound changes. Yeah. I feel like they've been doing the same thing since like, I don't know. I haven't checked them out in a while, but last I knew it was just Zach and some dudes playing like bass type stuff or whatever. Sure. Sure, why not? Uh, I um, I did. I sent a picture, not even considering it. Um, but Jared Nowacki, a couple of years ago, I went to go, I went to go see I Hate God, and it was fairly disappointing. Um, but their roadie was was this larger man in a in a glimmery Yankees ball cap, That's and him. he he had a very kind of like just milk drinker look. And I I had not considered. 
uh, anyone in strong intention for years. And I just happened to take a picture of him at the merch booth to send to Jared to be like, look at this yokel. And Jared is like, that's, that's uh, so-and-so from strong intention. I was like, you fucking small world, huh? Yeah, he's always kind of looking townyish or whatever, but yeah, uh, he he books for all those bands and shit. I'm pretty sure. So like, I think he's like their their booking agent or whatever. I I got I have some very good contacts uh, from 1997 in Olean and Cuba and Dunkirk and Brockton that I can hook him up with. For that for that New York tour that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, you should do it. Those yeah, bands could be like a dude. I hate God probably would do like a fourteen day New York yeah. tour, and I bet people might follow it around too. Well, yeah, if, I mean, if one of yeah, if one of their like um, you know, if their parole officer like was like, hey, you guys can't drive into Pennsylvania for a couple weeks, you know, like <laughs> they, might, they might have to stay in New York for a while. Jesus Christ, is there anything else uh, regarding robot uh, that, that we haven't touched on or anything? Oh, touched on? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's like any. There's nothing to sell. I don't know if there's any. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess I forgot you played in They Live too. How long? How long was that for? Uh, right. I was almost. It was almost concurrently. Uh, yeah. Dave, Dave and I uh, took took uh, They Live on a detour, uh, according according to some folks. But uh, <laughs> we. Uh, I th- yeah, it was around the same time, something like um, 2001 to 2004. Yeah. And then they went on hiatus. And I know Eric and Blake are uh, revving it back up again. You know, poured some kerosene in it, got it going, got it going up again. Um, but we, yeah, so we, I, I was there after uh they had some lineup changes and uh i think pat recommended me to that to like eric and dave it was just like the two of them at some point if i'm and then at the old uh discovery records basement there uh next to uh next to one of your podcast alum two 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 time guest mike jeffers uh uh hello mike union and he uh but so i went i don't know if it was like a tryout or something and i didn't even like I only know I only knew Dave remotely. I knew Eric from like their house and in the band, obviously, and from they live. But um, uh, yeah, I I think I went and then somehow uh, snaked my way into the band or was like I was like a good enough you know player you know so like learned a bunch of songs and that um, was setting up for like the tour. Um, that uh we did that the summer and fall of of 2001 but then we ended up doing a bunch of we did we recorded a bunch of songs for an lp which i still think is pretty good um although it's very different from a lot of the other they live stuff um and um but that tour was pretty amazing i mean that tour was like a thing uh you know i i it was like fucking 2001 i turned 21 in may i took a i took a semester off college and use my student refund money and the money I had saved up from bar backing uh, to in Dunkirk at the Northern Chautauqua County Conservation Club to uh, go on like a five week tour that was like bisected by, you know, the, uh, the act, the nine 11 happened during that tour. So we were in like Tennessee when that happened, um, which was pretty wild. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was like a thing that was like an affirmation to me, 
uh, almost beyond the band of like being around uh, good friends and, and acquaintances and, and um, a time and place to realize I could leave. Like, you know, I said the thing about Dunkirk earlier, but I think there is like this pervasive small town um, thing that you, you get kind of smashed into your head that you won't ever leave or you won't ever do anything. And, I, and that, I think there was something very freeing about being on that tour where uh, I realized those things, you know, that kind of mentality didn't help me or matter, but also that like, oh shit, I could like go literally anywhere if I can figure out some way to get there. Um, which I think, you know, uh, creative endeavors afford you, um, I don't know, kind of a, at least a, a ticket or some kind of um, opportunity as opposed to go do those things that maybe, you know, a lot of other stuff to, you know, I don't have many other, I have like three and a half skills. Like I can, I can talk shit. I can like, I, I know mild HTML. Um, I'm general, I generally do work on time. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I have an above average sense of humor, you know, and then the rest of it has been just like kind of <laughs> slapping it together. So uh, to realize that like, oh shit, like you could, there's people doing this all over the place. You could, you could do these things too um there's not anything that precious about it but in the wider sense um you as a person you know afforded a bit of luck and opportunity again with all of my privileges and advantages laid out here you can figure a way out to fucking live the life you would like to live which is uh which is very exciting i think there was some aspect of you know being able to be in albuquerque new mexico and have a milk chugging contest uh after a show to six people and uh laughing you're fucking until you're crying because you're throwing up in a dumpster and it's like 85 degrees in albuquerque new york and you're like wow you know life's funny huh you know got you here <laughs> so you know among among other things i suppose that tour you referenced it was the no time to live tour whatever you guys call it with no time left right yeah, right yeah yeah no you're right right uh were they on the, were they on the whole thing or uh, they were, yeah. Nick, uh, Nick, twenty-one, Nancy Lane Baron, uh, and, and uh, I think he paid for the whole thing on his credit card. Also lives in Milwaukee, by the way. I don't know, there's there are some other Milwaukee folks that left Buffalo. Um, so he lives in Buffalo, and then Jim McCann, who was in like Baseball Furies and uh, Tirades, lives out here too. But um, so we out here is what I'm saying. But um, but he was like, I've told this to him years later. I was like, you were. I had this vision of him. I just, right. I said, so I just turned 21. I think Craig was like fucking 16. Um, but like, I just turned 21. Most of us were around that same age. And, uh, but Nick was like 30. And so I was like, Nick is, Nick is an ancient responsible person. Like in my <laughs> brain at the time, <laughs> because Nick and which he, which he has said, he's, he has laughed about because, uh, he was like, I put, I put part of that in my credit card and I went into incredible debt for years. <laughs> like it was, it was like a disastrous personal decision to some degree. Um, but it was extremely fun. It was extremely fun. Yeah. Is that the most touring you did? Like with any bands that you've been in pretty much or? Uh, Robot did a U.S. tour too. Um, and uh similar kind of pattern uh, around the u.s all the way to the west coast and back um and uh so those are the two like bigger tours i i was on but we did other smaller ones or you know 
shows Oot and Boot. And I, I was able to roadie a couple times for some of, uh, some of my buddies' bands, uh, including at, uh, for running for cover at the Rochester's Punk Picnic, picnic one time, uh, where I was actively bleeding and uh, probably need to go to the hospital. So that's the, not that show you're referencing, but the last time I saw Pat was actually at a punk's picnic, like, uh, well, 11 years ago now, 2011. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend and a few of us went. Uh, I couldn't tell you what bands played that right. year. It um, didn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, um, uh, we, we were there. So we were in, uh, it was the second, no, it was the first show of that running for cover tour. And I was their roadie. I had taken a week off work. I had like a, an actual like white collar job at that point. And the night before, cause I'm an absolute fucking idiot. Um, I, we were in Buffalo and I stayed up all night and was like, Dave and some other people are like, Hey, we're going back to the house. Remember to, you got to get back here by like uh, seven. We got to get stuff going. And I was like, Hey, I got it. Nope. Not a problem. Um, and then took whatever and then uh took some pills and drank too much and then at there's a foggy point between leaving this party and then waking up on their couch soaked in blood and i had fallen at some point in the middle of the night trying to take a piss and i had cut i mean i still have like a scar here in the middle of my forehead and like on my hair uh so you know this is a lesson for all you uh, young partiers out there, you know, it, it'll catch up to you. Um, but I, I had like an active head wound and like the worst hangover of my life. And then it was like, Hey dude, you got to help us like load stuff or, or go to the hospital, like make a choice. And so if I went to the hospital, they were going to shave my hair, like kind of like a weird, like a balding guy haircut. Um, and I would, I would have got stitches and I would look totally insane or, I could have gone to the Walgreens, which is, this is what I did. I was like, you know what? I got this time off. I got a little bit of money here. I'm going to go to the Walgreens. I'm going to, I'm going to tough this out. You know, I, I've toughed out, I've toughed out worse, which is not true. And I got some like skin glue and, uh, and basically I had an open head wound. Uh, and I was like regretting, I was like, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm like, I got to change some stuff about my life. And, I, and that's how we pulled up to the punks picnic as I was actively bleeding, trying to sell t-shirts uh, while all of those maniacs, you know, they had played an awesome show. The Rochester's punk picnic people were just go losing their minds. There was an entire, like, I don't know if they were like, there was a, there was a humongous uh, Indian family having a completely normal summer celebration at the pavilion next to it who all left because they were just mortified by whatever the hell was happening and uh so just standing there like reassessing my life choices <laughs> with an active head wound trying to sell ten dollar t-shirts at like a hardcore show um but it turned out great i mean the the tour the tour went okay and uh i had a blast now that actually kind of leads me into what I wanted to ask you about next with the touring and stuff. Sure. I sent you a flyer within the last couple of weeks for a show that I booked for robot in Rochester with another Buffalo band with an old friend of ours. Were there any other weekends and or tours with project Grizzly or any uh, project Grizzly stories you want to share on air? Proj Grizz. Um, that I... <laughs> um... Well, I mean, Ben, Ben, I'd take it, shared, uh, did some sharing, this is true. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't, I mean, is this a bad time to tell you I've not listened to any, not just your podcast, but any podcast ever? Is this no, a bad time? No. Okay, I'm woefully no, prepared for this. Um, oh, boy. Um, I mean, I have a lot of good memories, like, you know, ones that don't involve, like, diapers. <laughs> um, <laughs> the diaper story has obviously been told a couple times by diaper now. The story is out there. I, yeah. You know, Ben told it. I don't remember who else. Who, somebody else was on here that that was there for that too, because I feel like it's been Bare, told twice on here now. Barely notorious. Um, no, I. You know, I. I mean, I think like. No, I. I don't. I remember having like actually, mostly some good times. Even though I think you know he would say this, and I. You know, I, me too. I think we were both like probably a little out of hand with how we were living our lives at that point. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's some uh, cloud over part of that, you know, um, but not, you know, not to the point where like, you know, I think, I mean, most of, yeah, I, no, I, I don't think, you know, I, I have mostly like very fond memories in particular, like of who played a show in Jamaica Plain, like, like in Boston and, uh, just walking around the street, like being in the streets of like a place I didn't know with like a, with a dear friend and, and, uh, and drinking a beer in public just cause we could get away with it. I mean, there's some like special charm to that. So that's probably my most prevailing memory and, and not as much trying to talk promoters down from, you know, uh, fighting us or him or anarchists. He really did love to make anarchists mad. I, I don't know. He just did. Just really I feel like he probably still would like to do that, but I don't know if he, he told the, I don't yeah. think you were even there for it, but he, I don't know if he told the between the bear to me story on, on air when, when I interviewed him, but that's a, that's a pretty funny one too. But, um, did for you him, have any other, did you, you should do, you should do an after hours. You should do enterprise hardcore after hours, you know? Maybe that'd be like a Patreon exclusive or something. Yeah, we'll, and like, you get we could all do, stuff. I mean, you probably got some of your old noiser equipment. We could all like disguise voices you know, like a, like a frontline expose or something, you know, we have a super low pitch shifter voice and be like, yeah, this one time we saw buried alive play and Scott Vogel threw a body bag into the pit. And <laughs> I want to see this thing filled before the end of the night, which was true. But we also thought it was funny. Nothing with he said, but we thought it would be also be awesome if a band went on stage and threw a toilet into the mosh pit and said they wanted to see it filled by the end of the night. Uh, but it's a separate thing entirely. But you're going to pitch shift that in the, when we do the, when you play this probably, right? Yeah. 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 Is that body bag story true? Did he really say that at a show one time? Or did he really throw that out at a show one time? As I remember from a Buried Alive show, yeah. I mean, like early on, like Buried Alive. Because like show place, right. It would be like show place, I don't know, 1998 or 90, maybe 99, probably 98. Uh, right when they were starting, uh, yeah, there's, there was like a, they might, they might, I'm, there was a couple shows right in a row. I don't know if it was a sh like a, there were like, I did not go to see them and I have no, no ill will against him. It's just not a band I ever liked very much, but, uh, we're going to see someone like Ink and Dagger or someone like a veil maybe, but they were like, you know, the, the local openers or closers, it was like them or Snapcase, largely, right? So it's like, if you played something vaguely hardcore, you know, one of those two bands were playing. But I, yeah, the, the body bag, I mean, again, you know, I told you, this could be conflated. This could be an outright lie. 
but delusion doesn't count because I if I if I just misremember because uh, the aforementioned uh, miss uh, mislived years, then you know I, I blame society. I've had Scott on here before, and I'll probably have him on again eventually. So I'm definitely going to ask him if he's ever thrown body bags out into the. To the I would. I would love the confirmation. Yeah, I would actually just That's for my really, own, like uh, how quickly I've developed. Uh, God knows what mental uh, situation. I would love to actually know if that because that at least became the joke with that you would throw a toilet into a mosh pit, which still. That's- that's funny still. I don't yeah, know. That still is funny. I could see Jamie Josta from Hatebreed throwing the body bag out too. So Absolutely. Yeah. So that's pretty funny. Do you have any more, any other, uh, and I know you have like a 76 list, band list, but uh, any other noteworthy projects before the move to Milwaukee? Boy. Um, boy. Uh, let's see here. No, I mean, you know, they just, there's, they, they existed at a, as a time and a place, you know, and, and, no, and I don't think anything that's it's out there. If you were there, you're there, you know. So then, I think we've talked about well, yeah, 2006. We were talking about before the interview, and I guess you kind of mentioned you had moved to Milwaukee slightly before that. Did you, did yeah. you like what made you kind of want to move there? Did you did you have work there, or did you just kind of decide it was a city that seemed interesting from like going on tour and stuff? Or well, a little bit of that, you know, Milwaukee and Madison having been out here, and then I had some family in Milwaukee. Uh, living here and uh, it I mean not you know I I would have stayed in Buffalo I was working at my hometown newspaper at the time after college and then I got a job I applied for a bunch of jobs and journalism's a fairly nomadic kind of lifestyle so um, I applied a bunch of places and having some background in kind of this part of Wisconsin uh, this was this is where I came out and uh, it, it, I mean it's turned out to be fantastic I, I do love it here it has a lot of similarities to you know, the Great Lakes in general, the, the Great Lakes Autonomous Zone, as I like to uh, refer to it as, and hoping one day that maybe, uh, you know, we can, we can stop being north, south, east, west, and just kind of claim our own <laughs> kind of territory with all the fresh water and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, in Milwaukee, since the end of 05, and yeah, for, for a job out here, but uh you know, was able to, Dave did live out here for a little while too. Dave of uh, uh, Drunken or- Orgy of Destruction, I think is where he's most commonly known. You know, I think he had some other bands like Cages or something else like that, but mostly dude, mostly Drunken Orgy of Destruction. And um, he lived out here for a little bit, uh, as did Nola actually of Cages fame. Well, uh, yeah, met some other lunatics and have done some other things that have been rewarding and interesting while ever, well, ever since Josh, ever since. Did you uh did you keep active with music the whole time? Because like I said, I got a, I got a couple projects that I found while looking through your through your discogs mm-hmm. or whatever. So I I guess I, I wasn't like I said I wasn't surprised to see the kind of music you're playing, but I was kind of surprised you kept active with it. Like could this. you? I actually I just could you describe? Tell me what it's tell me what the music sounds like to you. I desperate and there's not there's not a single thing you could say that would hurt my feelings here or anything like that. I I I absolutely just want to hear you say. Budgie sounds like something that could be like in like a movie or a cartoon or something it's like funny like synth pop country like it's like a mixture of a few things and but like i i just i some of it kind of confused me because i don't really know if you're just like fucking around or if it's like a real thing like because you're singing you're singing uh i will always love you in the beginning of that one song too 
Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, until they take it down from the internet, I mean, it's clearly like a copyright. <laughs> well, thing. now that I'm saying it, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. Everyone, no, well, thousands, that, that, thousands of people listen to this podcast are going to get a take. Literally tens of people. The the, yeah. the, uh, the cartoon cartoon is good. Actually, I'm going to use that probably for yeah. the press materials. The the um, uh, not continuously. I think I was I was still like working on some stuff. Um, on my own, but it was, I mean, for about a, I, there'd be a, a year gap, I think, where it was like, before we, uh, I was in a, a wonderful band called Crappy Dracula too. Um, and that's actually, we did change the name of the band from Crappy Dracula at one point to Crappy Dracula 2. Um, just to try, we wanted to franchise the band, frankly, to finally make some money. And that did not work. But um, that was uh, with, and we still could be a band at some point, but that that uh, that's the three piece. A lot of people have said it's like dead milkman type stuff, which probably makes sense if you've ever talked to me, you know. But I, it, <laughs> we had like, I mean, just stupid shit, right? Like, I mean, we just, you know, we we had a song about the Lockhorns comic strip for Christ's sakes, right? I mean, just like grown morons just absolute grown morons but you know trying to do whatever we get away with but that was pretty sweet and we were able to do a little bit of touring with that and doug had you know doug had a very stable living situation so he put out some records that you want you want to talk about some stuff that will be in some cutout bins till the end of time <laughs> there are three lps three yeah so um that's how the second one is really good i will say that if you go onto doug's ebay account i think it's Douglasworth. um you could probably put this in the chat or something right is that how these work you get yeah, yeah. doug Douglasworth, he has an ebay and he will sell you all three lps for like eight dollars uh with shipping i and it's you're gonna catch something you like i just want to say unlike a lot of things we catch nowadays you're gonna like this you're gonna like this um, but yeah, we were, and we were, that was, I think we were, we played with a lot of garage type bands. Um, and this was, you know, the mid 2000s into the 20, early 2010s and stuff. Um, but I thought we were, I don't know, a little more goofy and we would do stupid shit. Like we went and, um, we actually went to Providence to see Ben. We had an off day or a show that fell through or something. And then Doug and I, uh, who is a beautiful man, um, we on that off day we found a uh, an open mic, and we went to this bar in outside of Providence. I think it's like in somewhere like Warwick, Rhode Island, and um, and we brought we found two crappy acoustic guitars from whoever's friends, and uh, we convinced a number of people at the bar that not, not only had we not played live before, but we had never played before. And then we went up and then we went up and did a 10 minute song called Freebird. That was not Freebird. It was our own song called Freebird. And that is one of the most important personal experiences of my entire life. You wanna talk about, about confusing a crowd and then some people leave and then some people start to get angry and then people fucking love it. At the end, like nearly everybody was like on our side. It was, it was, uh, it was dramatic. Um, and it was, you know, it was better than most of the bands that been in just that single performance at, at a sports bar in Rhode Island.
was it all improv the stuff you guys were make, doing for the song I, I had he doug does not doug was a bass player i use that term loosely he it didn't really matter we i just kind of like told him the two notes i was gonna play i basically played three notes and then the song was like uh the song was literally about a bird um <laughs> so and it kind of went downhill from there but it was very long um and they kind of and they didn't actually make us stop. We just kind of stopped. I, I was hoping they would like, we'd get like the Sandman at the Apollo treatment. Um, but, but it, it, it served. It's, it, it made the impact it needed to make. It felt like, yeah. I feel like Ben told me something about you guys doing like a random open mic comedy night one night too. Have you ever done shit like that? He, no. Yeah. There's something weird about stand up where like, I can't, um, I, I laugh at myself and I laugh at other people too much. Like I can't do it. Like I love to like think about and like riff on funny things with people, obviously, but um, I, I cannot get up and do a straight set like that. The only time I've ever, ever been able to do it is, is like a character. Like we sometimes before a crappy Dracula show, um, I, we'd be in a town, you know, we didn't like New Haven, Connecticut, and I, no one would know who we were, you know, so I would go up and, and just once the mics were on, go over and just like, pretend I was a man named Mike Troubles or Michael Troubles, and then have a number of like audio issues that people would come over and try to fix for me. And it was very, very frustrating at it, you know, try to drag it out as long as possible, but as the character, I could do it, but not like going up and slinging, slinging jokes. No. So when, as you've done like bands, as you've been older and playing like, like out of town, do you just do like weekends and like when you have off time from work and stuff type thing or? Well, I think, I mean, like, so we, I don't know like live wise how much more, I mean, I might do some shows here and there, but I think touring is probably past. I think it's a young person's game. Um, Cause I'll just go on vacation, you know, yeah. or, or I would roadie with someone again. I mean, I've had really fun times doing that. Um, but I don't know if I'll be in that situation of being in like that dedicated type of band to tour like that. Um, but I, so I've, you know, so I'll play mil places in Milwaukee or, um, the South side of Milwaukee, you know, sometimes, you know, I've got an old Subaru that'll make it that far. And so, uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, there's that. Um, so yeah, playing, I think playing out, I think my, we, I was in a uh, uh, kind of a band that just did three shows that Jensen and John from Iron Lung were very generous to put out a record called Solutions, not not Solutions question mark the band from Rochester back in the like 80s or whatever, but um, just uh, like power violence type stuff uh, with Joe Bellucci and with Pat. And uh, we just did three shows. And um I, yeah, I, I felt like after we played the third show, the third and final show in Seattle, I, like there was something in my head where I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I have the like uh, drive to do that in particular anymore, like tour and try to have that type of performance. Not to say it won't happen, but um, I mean, that has kind of been how it's played out too. So um yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I think, but that, again, that doesn't like take away, um, you know, I, I, had, I had the old four track out last weekend, damn it. I'm, I'm fucking still game. I still got it, you know. Did you guys, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of stuck on what you were saying about that Solutions Band. Did you guys just play like three random shows like in one weekend or something? Oh, no, no, no. Yo, no. Like Seattle? Yeah, 
we had set up, it was almost as like a surprise. The first show we played, we opened for Iron Lung as like a, cause they're coming to town and um, we wanted them to like us. No, uh, we, <laughs> is it too late to do goofy voices? It's probably too late to just start doing, cause people will get confused, right? I don't think there's going to be any confusion by this point of the, the interview. <laughs> they, they, so we played, yeah, we played Milwaukee. Uh, and then like two years later, we played in Buffalo. And then like two years later, maybe we played in Seattle and they put out that record. Um, actually, you know, and I said earlier that no one's put out, the, Jensen and John did put that out um, and uh, in some limited you know, um, collector scum quality. I'm just kidding. Um, some, some limited, you know, thing. Cause that's probably what it, it was appropriate. So yeah. in Seattle was like the third show. Yeah. And that's not something you guys are going to do again or anything. That was just like a one-off type band or whatever from. Uh, yeah. Just, just that, that, and that felt good though. I mean, I think like there's some aspect to, you know, it might be deemed like vanity or uh, project type stuff, but I, um, I don't know. There, there's something um, I found to I, the focus is more, is better there for me. Like, I feel like I can um, I, there, you know, over time, like Krabby Dracula was different. Cause we it was all, you know, you said the stand up comedy thing and there was some aspect to like us being on stage and like kind of just trying to get laughs. There was, you know, that, that was for, at least to, for us to get some laughs out of doing what we were doing. But in terms of the playing part of it, I, the, the, you know, with other bands, like I physically, it's like, as far as I could go, I don't, uh, it's, it's a, such a different thing than just making music and recording it or, or going into a studio or a home studio with friends to make some songs, which, truthfully is what I have always appreciated so much more out of music. Cause it, I mean, it's again, it's like, I can't believe it can happen. It just feels like a fucking miracle that you can get away with such, uh, especially nowadays, it's so much easier to record stuff, but uh, to, to be able to have good time with people that are important in your life and even strangers uh, to, to make songs is uh, that's about the best thing I can imagine doing in my life. And, and so the playing live part is kind of like a, I don't know. It's nice, but it's not, it's just not, it never, I guess it ultimately, it was a means to an end. You know, I, I forget what, what podcast, I was listening to an interview, an interview with somebody recently that they were saying the same thing that, that it's more about writing music to them as they've gotten older and they don't really care as much about playing, playing the stuff live so much, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, I mean, it's def there's definitely a little bit of like, um, I mean, I'm 41 years old. Like, I mean, there's certainly like a, uh you know an aspect where my i don't know i don't know if it's like age with touring again not, not to say i wouldn't play shows and i will play shows again but just like that aspect of like putting a band together to go like tour like I, that hustle is like not anything that's interesting fucking at all to me but i mean mostly because like most of the things i've done you heard that list of like 55 bands, like no one cares about most of the things i've done at all so like that to add all the extra uh pressure and expense and kind of um disambiguation with what i initially like intended to put together is uh or or work with other people to put together it just feels uh out of place or something so yeah i guess uh is is fudgy still active then or what what do you want to say about fudgy i guess fudgy will never end i mean I, that's that is a promise that band will never stop um and that band will 
that band at times may not have me in it for years. We'll see. I like I, but it, I think that is that is the old that is maybe like the concentrated version of like what is most interesting about trying to get away with stuff. Um, and luckily, I have some friends with some uh, decent recording things that live nearby and are very tolerant. Um, who like to party, hey, um, and have a lot of electronics, you know, which is cool. I, the cartoon thing that you said is so flattering, man. I can't even fucking get over it. Like that, like that is, <laughs> I don't know. I, God damn it. Like, when, I, this is a, maybe another sick thing, but like, I, I, I have fantasies. Do you have, I have fantasies about doing jingles. Like, I, I would love to do jingles and like, and like, bumper music and cartoons that is so fascinating to me like i yeah i don't know like do you you have like daydreams of like doing shit that's like not what anyone would think you would do like that uh i don't think so maybe (laughs) i don't really have as much time i'm usually worried about people alive yeah Yeah. he's a three-year-old yeah during the day so well, you have to if you are sustaining a life like the consideration whether you whether you can find the right slide whistle or yeah. a little bit different right um no i so fudgy uh has been wonderful i you know i will send you uh you have to get your out to get your mailing address but i'll send you the album i would i um with some beautiful help from some very wonderful people uh finished and put together um actually well last year now but um that it was one of those things where i was like i had all these uh songs and parts and was able to kind of piece together uh with a lot of help from dave of course um and other great friends um too too long a list to name here but um that uh it it's a certainly like a vanity project but it's something that like it feels as close to just my own personal i don't know everyday mania that um that i that i kind of kind of could grasp i guess without just fucking losing it or you know joining carl on those buses traveling all around the united states um and so you know and i just was you know this is like all coming together at the start of the pandemic and all this shit and i was like you know what fuck this i just put the thing on my credit card and uh <laughs> did the nick baron thing and uh and just uh yeah and the uh, uh smashed plastic is a really great um pressing place in chicago so i was able to like drive and pick them up um and just have this physical document and instead of selling it um i have either given it out or asked people to make a donation to a nonprofit here in town in milwaukee that helps uh runaway uh teenagers and kids that are trying to get away from uh problematic home situations so that was a good thing to be able to like actually take the fucking commercial aspect out of it entirely i was like this is this is always the hang-up for me like i don't want to fucking hustle and try to put a upc code on this or like sell stuff like i have no interest in that i want to like i would rather like almost make a donation to something by paying for this thing that's important to me and have other people support something that, you know, directly is helping someone figure out a fucking 
significant problem in, in, in our communities than just, you know, put another vanity record out there. So, so what I'm saying is Josh, I am a good person. <laughs> I'm going to say you got to be one of the first like musical artists to do something, to release an album that way, like where it's just donation based you know what i mean also, i tried to tell atlantic records and they had no fucking interest <laughs> i yeah i i did i mean there's like a good uh, online site here called milwaukee record that sometimes will um they cover like the uh, entertainment and food and all that stuff in town and uh i've written for them in the past and they were very generous in like putting out a story or two just to like connect people with it because i also don't have a lot online I, as you may know as you if you may have run into the fudgy there's not a ton of the fudgy stuff that is some of it's not like there's just like one song from that record online because there are a whole lot of samples on there that are illegal. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to look up right now to tell you what album I was listening to earlier. You you were uh, listening to uh, the one with the the statue with the penis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, that oh yeah, because you because I told you the, about the right. the Wendy love you. Uh, I was gonna say I don't know if I, I yeah I'm, I'm picturing her. Uh, you know, stopping before she gets on the plane while you're singing it or whatever. I don't know if that was your your inspiration for <laughs> doing that part or whatever. I should play it for my girlfriend too, because that's one of her favorite movies, and she was so sad when uh well, when Whitney died that. too. So I don't know if it's one of her favorite movies, but she definitely liked Whitney Houston a lot. So yeah, yeah, that uh, as she should. I mean, not just the greatest Super Bowl, uh, you know, national anthem singer before Super Bowl twenty five, um, where the Bills won the Super Bowl. If you ask some people, um, <laughs> but, they, but the, but you know, like a singer of a generation that, uh, you know, people should bemoan maybe a little bit more. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's also like, uh, it's a Dolly Parton song too. So it's like, yeah. uh, it's a, you, you, it's the best, best of both worlds there of, of two diva worlds yeah, and right. now three diva worlds with me also singing it until, <laughs> until they take it down from the internet. Yeah, I didn't know who you were paying tribute to there, but I didn't. I didn't think of the third, the third diva there until you said it. I guess so. It could be a, could be a quite a trio there. Ah, shit. So, um, any other uh, like plans musically or anything, or just keep keep plugging with with Fudgy every so often? I think we'll yeah, we'll probably have some Fudgy things. I mean, I got um, I've been thinking about getting into brochures. What do you mean? But yeah, yeah, brochures. Yeah, so like not, you know, music. Well, you know, music as it strikes me. But I think, uh, yeah, brochures. Yeah, just making brochures, or just like 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 taking an interest in and looking at them, or. Well, I mean the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, man! Um, Let me know if you want to get into it. I think there's definitely probably a market for it, but I'm just not sure like what kind of brochures, like I got a lot of corner stores near me, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm sure we could talk to them about, yes, yes. You know, print right. work or, you know, <laughs> placement. I had, I had wanted to start making these t-shirts like Dewey Ave versus everybody. Cause all this weird and crazy shit happens on Dewey Ave. But then, <laughs> but then, and this is going to kind of take it to a weird turn. So I, I feel bad saying it now because you're laughing. But then a lot of people started getting like shot and or killed. Oh, sure. Here. So now yeah. I feel like it'd be kind of in bad taste to make something like that now. So I'm going to wait for the crime to die down a little let it bit. Die down. Yeah, let it die down and then and then see if there's an appetite. Yeah, um, I guess I could even do what you're doing and make that shirt like a benefit for like the 
the I brochure. Do a brochure benefit. Brochure benefit for the for the neighborhood. <laughs> neighborhood. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that that pretty much wraps up uh, stuff that I had for topics and stuff. Is there anything we haven't touched on that that you had wanted to that you would want to talk about in an interview with uh with you? I guess. Um. No, not necessarily. I, you know, I was thinking about, uh, I'm wary of nostalgia. You know, I think there's like, there's like a nostalgia. I read, uh, I thought this was pretty good. I think I saw it online, but someone said that like nostalgia is like a gateway drug to becoming like a baby boomer. Like there is something like when I look back and I remember those like, um, ads for like where it was like youth of today records were priced a certain price point unless you had star wars or batman toys to trade them like there's some kind of like there's some kind of like um uh insidious aspect of nostalgia where people like maybe get trapped or or don't let themselves see other things so um i was uh i was grateful to share with you and talk in a way where it was like uh you know open of course you just kind of let me blab a lot too which i was probably going to do anyway but you know that it wasn't you know i think there 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 is something important in story sharing um at the deeper personal level which i think is good and and uh transcends that kind of uh aspects of nostalgia worship that like the norm mcdonald quote where he says uh things aren't it's not sentimental if it's true like i think there's something uh you know uh there's something important to be able to share certain aspects of things that we share and that are important to us and remain important to us so thank you yeah i agree and i'm I, i'm not trying to stay in the past that's why i told you i'm trying to keep an eye yeah. on people that are currently active yeah. with this too but i think yeah. A lot of times, especially the area we grew up in, and I guess that's one thing that I've been thinking about while you've been talking about, like in the beginning, living in a, growing up in a small town, like, like it's not like Rochester or Buffalo or like these huge, like metropolises. You know what I mean? No. So like, no. you know, I've I've pretty much most of my life lived in a small town. So yeah, um, I guess just thinking of small town life compared to everything else and whatnot. You know, it's uh. It's cool to think too that we've coming from these small areas though you know we've had this kind of music musical output you know in, in yeah. especially in rochester and buffalo for being such such weird little places you know right but i mean i think there is something to uh you know people who are left to their own devices it's in the same you know i look at like buffalo and rochester have also a an outsized impact on food there's like there's all kinds of like food that people around the country like celebrate and love that come from these an area that's like no more than a million people combined. And I think when people are left to their own devices and uh, kind of in some ways fucking left for dead, they, uh, you know, they, people can be fairly creative if uh, enough of us, uh, you know, make it off Dewey Avenue or out of Dunkirk, New York or whatever to uh, figure out the things we want to do in our life. Yeah, I got the, like you mentioned earlier, and I have mentioned on here a lot, I got the kids now, so we got to make it out of Dewey Ave eventually, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the next couple of years, so. Um, but yeah, is there anything else, or I guess any, any? I'll probably put all your, any available band camp or whatever in the show notes or whatever, so um, I guess is there anything else, or anything else you want to shout out or anything? <laughs> uh, no, you got the brochures thing in, right? Yeah, I got that. 
Yeah, no, that's good. All right, so I guess that's going to wrap up episode 51. Uh, I want to thank Justin for doing the interview. Uh, as always, thanks to Greg Benoit, Rob Antonucci, and Jim Byrne for helping out with the podcast. Uh, thanks to my family for all the support. Uh, see everybody real soon. Stay safe.